Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Good evening, good morning, whatever, depending what time you're listening to this. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the next episode of the Dental Implant Podcast. And this is actually going to be another collaboration with the uh, Zaga Podcast. And I am very, very honored and uh, very excited today um, because I, uh, I have my friend uh, uh, David Pastorino here as well. And um, it's if you place implants, if you place zygomatic implants, you will have 100% heard of my other guest. We have Carlos Aparicio joining us today. Uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for joining me this evening. Thank you, Pat. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, um, Carlos has very kindly um, offered to uh, come and answer some questions for us, basically. So I did Carlos's course. Um, in fact, when I came out, I was hearing rumors of, you know, uh, the, the, of a COVID-19 starting, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I, I did the course in January and I was like, you know, should you be going? Should we not? I was like, no, I'm going. It's fine. It's not a problem. Nothing's going to happen. So that, you know, I, that, was, that was that long ago, basically. And I have to say, I was there with a couple of colleagues as well. And these colleagues had done other zygomatic courses as well, particularly hands-on. And they said that this course was just absolutely fantastic by comparison. And obviously, my, my, my experience was the same as well. The level of detail we went into uh, was just absolutely superb. So you gentlemen, you have a very good course there. Uh, one of the things for me as well is as we study, as we progress, as we learn, there's always more questions which come up. And this is one of the reasons why I've asked uh, uh, Dr. Aparicio uh, to come uh, uh, on the podcast today so that we can answer uh, some of these questions, basically. Um, and I think probably a good place to start, um, uh, Carlos, if you want to maybe give a little bit of your history and background, but I think one of the things that we want to, uh, what, one of the things that I wanted to discuss today as well was the Zaga concept. Where does it come from? Because people think it's a technique and that's not quite correct. It's a classification. It helps you understand what techniques you need to apply to different cases. So if you could explain a little bit uh, to us behind the history so that we can start to build up uh, a picture. Thank you. I think this is a very, very uh, not only interesting, but important question. I think uh, if I go back in my history, I think uh, I was very honored to, to collaborate with P.A. Brunemar uh, in the latest 80s. Uh, but I didn't know in the first case, as I know, uh, rehabilitating a maxilla with zygomatic implants. But uh, to me, I didn't understood anything at that time. Then I, I had the, the pleasure and also the, the honor and the privilege to be trained by uh, Chantal Malebeth. She told me that it was just one year she was practicing psychomatic implants at that time. So she told me what she had at that moment. So, and it took me like uh, eight more years to understand that we didn't need anything. We, we had at that time problems and we didn't know we didn't know from where those problems were coming from. So 
it was about uh, uh, making a hole uh, here and then uh, finishing on the Sayoma with uh, some very primitive uh, rules. Um, uh, it was something not uh, protocolized, uh, not, uh, mm, not teachable, I would say, not teachable. Mm -hmm. So it was like a rough model, plastic, thick model, and then you had to make a hole from there and end there. And that was all the teaching. That was all the teaching. Although I have to say at this moment that um, uh, Pierre Brunemar, who discovered, who, who invented the technique, merits all my credits for sure. But this was the idea of uh, finding a remote place to anchor an implant when there was no bone where it should be. So uh, it took me, as I said, uh, like eight to 10 years to understand that a very simple thing, very stupid thing, is that about we all are different. So it's, it's so so simple and so long way to understand that. And then at the moment I understood that we all are different. I understood also that the technique couldn't be the same for all the patients. So we, I understood at that moment that we should adapt our technique to the patient's anatomy. And, uh, and now it's so simple. And I, I still, I, when I remember this, I, I think, Carlos, you, you were so, so stupid. You didn't, why you, it took you so long time to understand that, but it, it is like that. So at the moment we understood that, everything was more simple. We understood that uh, in some cases we should go intrasinus, as uh, PI told us. In some other cases, we should move a little bit the technique uh, and go in a different direction. And then finally, in, in other cases where the atrophy is so um, huge, we should try another pathway for our implant. But then that was the beginning, really. This is because of the, uh, this saga classification we understood that uh, all the patients are different. And we understood that the technique should be, the implant path should be different also. But then we understood that, that we were on the beginning of our understanding of the technique. So we understood also that uh, if the patients are different, the conditions are different also. And we developed this SACA concept, which is more than the SACA classification, for an holistic way to understand this kind of rehabilitation. So the Saga concept also takes care about the prosthesis, takes care of uh, the management of the soft tissue, takes care of uh, how we are going to maintain and preserve this soft tissue and this uh, small amount of bone. So it's how or, or why if the patient is different, why we should use the same implant for all the patients also? which is something very contradictory also. We, we, we get about hundreds or maybe thousands of different types of regular implants. And we have like a, one more or two models for, for psychomatic implants, even though the anatomy is much more complicated at the psychomatic place. So still uh, we are developing new things. For instance, um, uh, I like to mention the something that uh, a new I would say 
a new way to to start with the, the the surgery, which is the a new way to to make our first incision. Uh, that uh, our friend and Saga Center of uh, Cardiff, uh, Gimagliland, developed very few months ago, making this. Uh, Saga roll flap on the palate side, so we get more connected tissue on the buccal side. So we are still developing because this is nothing that uh, we have like um, arrived to the end. We are trying to improve this kind of rehabilitation. And this is the, the, the essential of the of the our Saga network to collaborate, to use uh, collaborative intelligence to go more and more and more and to be more precise and and finally to to be able to teach this knowledge which is to me the most important part of the saga concept we try to put the concept in a way that are teachable i had not this chance it took me so many time to for that because i had not that chance and this is to me, this is what we are doing now, and this is what motivates myself to to keep on on this on this trail. I think the the few bits that I've taken away from that information already is, firstly, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Okay, like you were mentioning that you know you were taught by P.I. Branamark, uh, I've been taught by yourself, and it's a constant progression. I think uh, for those listening, is they need to understand is as I said. The, the Zaga concept, it's not just this is how you place an implant, it's it's an all-encompassing um, or it's aiming to be an, an all-encompassing uh, protocol where you think about the restorative, you think about the longevity of the implants, you look at the anatomy and then you, you make a bespoke treatment for each patient depending on their anatomy. So it's not just, ooh, place the implant, we're done. It goes into a lot more depth than that. Um, and I think the other thing that I really like as well Carlos is you, you know you, you're a very humble person you constantly say that you know what this is always a, a, a something in in progress this is always something that we're refining which again is very important and this is something that I've mentioned in previous podcasts as well as soon as we think to ourselves we know we understand everything we stop our own learning so it's important we keep our minds open in order to um, uh, keep improving the patient care as well okay so that's a little bit of the history of the zaga concept is could you touch please a little bit on um i think that just a brief overview of the zaga classification as well and how that how that modifies uh, your implant trajectory and then i've got another couple of questions after that as well for you so <laughs> if we could go over briefly over just the, the just the zaga the, just the zaga classification please yeah Okay, this is the the simplest question, actually. <laughs> so <it's>, uh, <laughs> the, well, this, the saga classification essentially essentially means that uh, we have to. Uh, let me go one one step back. Yeah, I think in life there are acts that are reversible and acts that are unreversible. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, when I take impressions. Uh, this is a reversible because if my impression is not good, I will repeat this impression, and that's all. I have a a, a teacher that uh, told me if you doubt about the precision of your impression, use the best instrument that you may use, which is a hammer. 
So if you doubt, you take the hammer and destroy it. Okay, <laughs> that's a reversible act. Yeah. But there are other acts in life that are unreversible. And in our uh, in our profession, maybe drilling is an example of an unreversible act. Once I make a hole, this is done and is there. Once I take my knife and cut, it's cut it. So I think that previous the measures of the saga classification, to come back to your question, is mm-hmm. is not to me it's not important so much important to classify this is zero, one, two, three, whatever. It's not that. To me the measures is again that we are different. So before performing an unreversible act as it is cutting or drilling, please sit down understand what is the anatomy of your patient and what is the anatomy in this specific site because it, it may have this anatomy here and on the left side a different anatomy or in the front for sure it will have a different anatomy understand what structures you are coming through and then once you have this in mind decide from where you are going to drill or from where i'm going to cut first so then we will find different types of anatomy. We will find situations where the remaining alveolar bone thickness is enough to go through it, which we call it saga zero or even saga one. And in those cases, we like to perform our uh, osteotomy through this small about uh, amount of bone because uh, if it is, I mean, if always thinking our, our mind should be focused that we are talking about zygomatic implants and for sure to us say to, to say that in this uh, trajectory or virtual trajectory we are planifying our implant finding five millimeters of bone in an oblique trajectory is a lot of bone okay mm-hmm. but uh, don't, we, we shouldn't think at all. Uh, regular implants. We, sh- we are thinking of psychomatic implants in a situation of atrophic maxilla. So whenever I find in my virtual planning, uh, whenever I try, I put this oblique uh, plane, which is not perpendicular, because in perpendicular, maybe those uh, four millimeters, five millimeters are three or less. But when I, when I incline my plane, those millimeters become uh, longer. When I find those, uh, uh, let, let's call it adequate amount of bone, and uh, we go through this bone, and then we try to get stability far away on the zygomatic bone, but we are sure if this implant has an adequate design, and uh, with adequate design, I would say, if this implant has threads on the neck, and we are able to stabilize this implant far away on the remote position, on the zygomatic position, and this neck of the implant is wrapped with those four millimeters of bone, I think that uh, this will be enough to get osseointegration there, and this osseointegration will prevent for oral communication in the late future. Mm-hmm. So that will be my first option. And this will be Saga 0 or even Saga 1, even though the implant 
uh, in second one, there is a little bit more curvature on the maxilla, and then a part of the implant can be seen on the outside. When it comes to uh, what we call Saga 2, Saga 2 means that uh, this is something like in between. So we have uh, some bone there. We may try to make a tunnel osteotomy, or but we are not sure if we make a... By the way, I didn't explain what is... We, we call tunnel osteotomy whenever we can make a, an osteotomy that is circular. And we make a tunnel, which an entrance and an exit. And for sure, when we make a, a, a hole, let's call hole to the osteotomy, when, when we make a hole which is, has a circular uh, section, we need a circular, circular section also to close this hole, this osteotomy. Uh, this is why we use a circular section implant to close a tunnel osteotomy. And this happens in situations like Saga 0, Saga 1, or even Saga 3, when I will explain a little bit more later on. Mm -hmm. So Saga 2 is, is this situation where is is not once is not the four where where the atrophy is extreme is not the one where we find some bone. Uh, so Saga two, you you do your best. You try to be conservative, uh, but usually you will end up with um, not totally complete tunnel. We will end up with a very deep channel probably, but not a totally uh, deep channel. Uh, for those situations, we always try also to, as, as usually, to be conservative on the osteotomy and, uh, and the implant will be uh, more exposed to the buccal side of its middle part. And then uh, we go to the Saga 3. Saga 3 is um, the situation where we find those uh, triangular remains of alveolar bone triangular remain of alveolar bone that usually has some kind of inclination, buccal inclination. So uh, it's not able, it's, it's not enough to place a regular implant, but you can go through this bone and still to, you, you may preserve some bone on the buccal part of the, of the alveolar and then uh, anchor your, the, the tip of the implant on the zygomatic bone. The good thing in this uh, type of anatomy is that if you are conservative, you can preserve some bone wrapping around your implant. I'm not telling that it's going to totally wrap around the, the, the whole neck of the implant, but this small remain of alveolar bone will be able to provide the soft tissue fibers a place to attach in. And this, mm -hmm. uh, this is a very fantastic thing. So I hate, and sorry for using this word, but I hate those um, teachings that say the first thing you have to do is to destroy the bone in a perpendicular way. And because this is, first of all, the problem of this patient is, is an atrophic patient. His mm -hmm. maxilla is atrophic. So what the hell I should take more bone that I will need to? Yeah. But if you, on top of that, if you discard this alveolar bone, you are knocking the door for the uh, soft tissue complications. So preserve as much bone as possible is the message of Saga 3. 
So I know that is is a triangle, is a very ridiculous amount of bond that you are left in there, but if we can use it, there is a very big rationale for using this bond in order to support the soft tissue fibers to attach in. And then that's uh, the, 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 the beauty of this uh, philosophy. Then finally, we find the Saga 4, where, where um, we have uh, just one, two millimeters of bone. There is nothing. So I'm um, very reluctant to get a palatal uh, pathway because I know in my experience, in others' experiences, that uh, we, in the future, this bone is going to resolve. Uh, so we are trying to prevent the soft tissue, the, the sorry, the, the oral communication. But then in this balance, that in one side of the balance has the soft tissue problem, and on the other side of the balance, we have the, the oral communication. So we, we have to decide from which side we, we have to, we like to, to risk the more. And uh, usually, we we give more importance to the oral altar communication because especially today because today we have the new designs of implants uh, that you for sure you you know mm-hmm. this uh, flat design of implants together with the uh, design of the channel osteotomy and also together with the new uh, instruments we have today because uh, I had to learn in the hard way so nobody told me how to use a very stupid thing with this I'm gonna say very simple thing now nobody told me how to use the round bar the round bar is an instrument very difficult for a dentist to use I mean no uh, allow me to say it. because we are dentists we are accustomed to use the round bar in a way but when a dentist uses a round bar for a zygomatic purpose, it's always wrong. It's mm. always wrong because he thinks he has to go forward and he has to work backward. Yes. It's just the opposite. You know, and it took me so long to understand that. When I was trying to preserve the membrane, I failed 50% of the cases. I make a hole on the membrane. So until I understood how to use the rhomba. We are very lucky today because we have um, lateral and cutting bars. For instance, Bersat bar is very good to preserve the sinus. Very easy, much more easy than the, with the round bar. I can do it with both, but it's quicker and uh, safer. And in this balance of the uh, oral communication in one side and the soft tissue on the other, we try to give more importance to the uh, oral communication. Because as I said, for the soft tissue, we have first our way to prepare a channel osteotomy. So we are able to, to sink the implant, to, to dig uh, the implant, and almost uh, now almost our implant is not protruding against the soft tissue. Plus, we have this uh, flat design of a Saga implant, of a Stroman Saga implant, which is, uh, as you know, has this flat surface. With the, the, the surface is uh, extended and plus is soft, is uh, flat, sorry. And plus we have uh, developed uh, some uh, tips like uh, uh, the roll flap, 
tips like the uh, scar graft, some tips. Uh, we know that uh, the importance of the connected tissue to protect our implants. So in this balance, we have more um, resources to escape from the uh, sub-tissue complications than from the oroantar communication. So we move in the saga type 4, uh, we shift our osteotomy to the buccal side, and we try not to disturb the, the this uh, what we call zygomatic implant critical zone uh, homeostasis. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Carlos. So, so again, it's, uh, I mean, this is nicely moving on to my next question, but one thing that I've taken from this discussion already is that uh, obviously in your experience, you're, you're, you're saying that particularly in Zaga class three, when you've only got a little bit of bone that's left, uh, and I've, I've seen it a lot where people just use a lateral burr and just completely get rid of it. And uh, you're obviously very much of the opinion that, you know, as difficult it is, as it is trying to maintain that little bit of bone, we have to try because if we can maintain it, it's going to help support the soft tissue. And then uh, obviously the next step on for that is uh, as, as the maxilla starts to become more and more resorbed. And again, this is a nice thing about the Zaga concept is you, you, it's not just a classification and you do it is we're thinking about the next steps we're thinking about longevity as well is the zygomatic implant critical zone now please correct me if i'm wrong because obviously i've just taken this from from what i've read predominantly from your book but particularly in these resorbed cases the whole point of the zygom uh, uh, zygomatic implant critical zone is that's the bit near near the head of the implant and what we are trying to do, which is what you've already stated, is we are trying to prevent a long-term oroantral communication. Because if we get rid of that really thin eggshell bone and uh, and there's there's bone loss in the future, you end up with an oroantral communication, which is very, very difficult to, to, to treat. So uh, you've already alluded that what happens in those cases is you move the head of the implant slightly more buckly to try to reduce that risk. Is there anything else that you do in addition to that? Because uh, obviously you've touched on the point that if we're moving it slightly more buckly to reduce the pressure on the soft tissue as well, that's where the Zaga flat implants come in as well. Is, is there anything else that you can add to that? Do you have any more thoughts? Uh, yeah, thank you for, for, for reminding me because uh, uh, we have defined this zygomatic implant critical zone as the zone where the implants meets for the first time the, the, the alveolar bone or, or the remains of the maxilla bone. Uh, and the zygomatic implant critical zone um, is, is, is formed by, by the bone, by the implant, and by the soft tissue too. So this is like a, an ensemble of the three parts, soft yeah. tissue, bone, and implant. And then uh, depending on how much bone we find, we will create one or another type of a zygomatic implant critical zone structure. In the, in the case of a Saga 4 situation where we have almost no bone on the sinus floor, we may find like one millimeter of bone or two millimeters. We try, uh, as we were staying before, we try to shift our uh, our, our uh, osteotomy to the buccal side. And we we try to, and at, at this moment, I would like to, to use another word, 
which is different from osteotomy, is antrostomy. Antrostomy, uh, just for, for the audience, is the place where we get into the antrum. So in a case, Saga 4 type, where we have no bone on the sinus floor, we try to elongate, to separate the zygomatic implant critical zone from the antrostomy zone as much as possible. This yeah. is what we try to do in addition with, to, to what we have explained to now. So it is mandatory. It is so important. It is critical to maintain the sinus lining integrity at the zygomatic implant critical zone. And then we try to make this channel preserving the, 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 the uh, Snaridian membrane as much as possible until the moment we create the antrostomy zone, until the moment we get into the antrum, because we need to get into the antrum to, to perforate the zygoma. And this is a, a requirement, of, of, of course. So what we try to do is to separate this distance, to, to separate the antrostomy, the, the zygomatic implant critical zone, to the antrostomy zone as much as possible. And then we know that by separating the, the two zones, the risk for having this contamination decreases a lot. Okay. And but to that, and uh, I think I should uh, insist on that we need a specific implant design, an adequate implant design. What do I mean with that? We need to to preserve the bone at the even though it is it is so few at the critical zone, but we need to preserve it. And for that, we need threads. We need threads on the implant and stability on the implant. If the implant is right stable, totally stable, and has some threads, we can preserve the bone because we are uh, inducing osseointegration. We are creating secondary stability, even though uh, it's not very powerful, but it's enough to maintain the bone there. Yeah. So we are not relying only on the on the weak um, soft tissue ceiling, which I like it very much. I'm not despreciating it, but I prefer to have soft tissue and hard tissue ceiling for, for, for my implant. I mean, this is fantastic. I'm learning so much already. It feels like private tuition for me. Um, uh, Carlos, there's another question that I have for you, and I think um, this will be... Uh, very interesting to a lot of my listeners who either don't place zygomatic implants or they're starting to learn how to place zygomatic implants is in your experience and uh, with the data that you understand is at what point, what, what alveolar height and what alveolar thickness should we start to at least think about zygomatic implants? Because I've seen a lot of cases, I've had some cases of my own, I've got some cases which have been referred to me, where dentists have squeezed conventional implants in, there's been complications, the implants have had to be removed, and now what would have protected the head of the zygomatic implant, now there's nothing left. That makes it more complicated. <laughs> so That's a very complicated answer. <laughs> at what point should we, when, when we're looking at a CBCT scan, when we're looking at the alveolar height and thickness, at what point should it enter our head that we should at least consider zygomatic implants? Okay. Allow me to go a little bit on, on the air, because yeah. as you know, 
we should have a, a overall vision. No, no yes. I cannot tell you if in this point is because the rest of the mouth it's important. Okay, so we have to imagine a very uniform uh, remaining of alveolar bone where. In all the parts, uh, we have the same uh, <laughs> height, or we cannot tilt an implant. Oh, okay, I will say first, I'm a very conservative guy. So mm -hmm. if I can escape from zygomatic implants, I escape from zygomatic implants. If, I, I will say more. If I can es escape from implants, I escape from implants. Because to me, the best implant is the tooth, the natural dentition. Mm -hmm. I love natural dentition. I mean... I w this is a message I will say I will give for, for young people that uh, natural dentition is is a pleasure. I mean everything is so easy with natural dentition. It's so rewarding, and the business your business will stay forever because uh, I remember now my father was a, a dental technician and my grandfather he was too also dental technician. I remember. One of the dentists working with my father, uh, he used to say, he was an old dentist at that time, so probably he, he was already working with my grandfather. He used to say, if there is a tooth, there is a business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there were no implants, anything at that time, but he used to say, if there is a tooth, still there is business. And I will give this message, if you are only thinking in the business, the teeth is the best business and the most rewarding, the most rewarding. I hate this new fashion of uh, taking out everything and placing two screws. Mm -hmm. I hate that. I think it's a pity. It's a pity. It's, we are like losing our job because with, with, with natural dentition, can, we can do, I mean, unbelievable things, unbelievable things. Yeah. And still... So if I can escape from um, psychomatic implants, I try to escape from them. Mm -hmm. But uh, say that I'm becoming more fan of quad uh, psychoma than before. And I, I going back to your question, I use, basis in this conservative philosophy I have, I used to place uh, sometimes... Okay, the two posterior were very clear because there is no bone, and the anterior get like eight millimeters or a triangle with some palatal entrance. Um, I, I used to place regular implants on the anterior and try not to make a quad. But now I'm going more for the quad directly when I'm doubting. You know, when you doubt, can I place a regular implant on the anterior or not? Then I go for the quad. Okay. Because I feel much more comfortable, much more secure with the quad. I got uh, I had more failures in regular implants. So in they call now hybrid <laughs> regular. So meaning two posterior and, and some regular in the anterior. I got more failures on the regular implants than on the psychomas. Mm -hmm. So now I'm... I'm going more for, for in those situations when I doubt, I go for the for the quad. And uh, if, if the origin of the question is uh, what is the, the indication for regular implants, I think the quad is the is the queen. I mean, the, the when you don't get anterior bone or posterior, and in millimeters, let's say, 
on the anterior, something less than five millimeters, I think is today, I will go for, for, a, for a quad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So, uh, I mean, those were the main questions that I had for you, but what I would like for you to do, if you still have a few minutes, it's, uh, uh, I know that you, uh, David, you had some questions as well, but could you tell us more about the, uh, the, the Zaga centers, what's the history behind it? And, you know, kind of like, uh, what, what, what your aim in, uh, is for the future, because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, as I said, I've done your course. It's something that I'd like to do again. And uh, I know that you're growing this network and I, I, I'm seeing the network grow and it's, it's, it's fantastic. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? I will tell you this with a, with a, with a condition. Yeah. I will start the, the, the answer and David is going to finish if you allow okay. me to do that. No, I, okay. I, was, I was planning on something different, actually. I was planning on tricking him to answer the question. And, and, and I'd like to start with one question that uh, it's actually a pleasure to have uh, Carlos on the podcast because he, he can't escape from my questions now. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, Carlos, in the very beginning that uh, you were lucky to have uh, Pierre Brandemark as mentor and then uh, Chantal Malavez as uh, a teacher. And uh, one thing that, that, that we're missing in, in this story is how did you get to the zygomatic implants in the first place? What was your first contact with this, uh, at the time, maybe not a treatment option, but this invention, I think we could call it uh, at the time. What was your first contact? Why or how did you get in touch with it? I'm taking this opportunity because then I will escape from another question. You were talking about the patient you remember always. Uh, this is the this is the story of the my first patient uh, uh, with psychomatic implants. Actually, it was uh, 80s around 86, 87. So, I mean, allow me to to explain a little bit more. I'm talking 86, 87. I went, uh, I learned implants in, um, for, I had my first contact with implants in 83, 84. So at that time, uh, not even dentists knew about the implants. Not, I'm not talking about patients, not, not dentists. There was a small book, well, book, and a small compilation of sheets like this with 160 names on the wall having taken the, the course of psychomatic implants in, in Sweden. And in those names, it was, uh, uh, for instance, um, Eugene Keller from the Mayo. I mean, uh, people at, the, at that level, no, <laughs> at that level. So, uh, what I mean is that uh, at that time we have to uh, perform surgery in, uh, if I remember correctly, was like twenty mandibles, edentulous mandibles from more than one year edentulous. Not extraction, no, no. One year at Dentulus, and then you were allowed to place implants. Then we have to perform 20 low-jaw surgeries before they sell us implants to work on the upper jaw. So it was at that level. And the implants for the upper jaw, don't think it were, they were very different. were a little bit longer. That's all. So it, three years later... It show up in our office because at that time I had a partner, Jordi Olive. Uh, it show up in our office a young man, about eighteen years old, young man. He lose his premaxilla totally because of uh, iatrogenic uh, maxillofacial surgery. He he 
he had a open bite and they were wrong on doing the surgery. He cut the premaxilla, well, total error. He, they, they cut the, the, uh, the vascular um, apport. So he got a necrosis of the premaxilla and then he lose the premaxilla with a oronasal communication of about two centimeters. So it was a disaster. Imagine a young, 18 years old guy. And then he told us, can you do something for us? I said, wow. So he wrote our master, our teacher, uh, Pierre Guarimar, some radiographs. And he said, oh, yeah, come here. I said, what? What is the? He's getting crazy, this guy. <laughs> He's getting crazy. But, uh, well, finally he was, uh, I mean, he was uh, not poor, but uh, uh, with the limited uh, economic resources. So we, we, we were able to, to manage uh, the, the, the government paying his, uh, because it was an error, paying the trouble for him. So we went to the, to the uh, Gothenburg University where P.I. Weimar was working. And then he himself, he used to have a machine, in a turning machine in his office. Mm-hmm. So he, with the, doing with the hand like this, he turned two implants, long implants like that. And Ignacio was the name of the patient. Uh, was very lucky because at that time, Eugene Keller from the Mayo Clinic was spending a sabbatic year in Gothenburg just to learn, I mean, regular implants. Because now we, we smile, oh, we get one day course and then we are expert. No, he spent one year, the, the, the chief of the Mayo Clinic, maxillofacial department, was spending one year to learn regular implants in Gothenburg. Yeah. And... Uh, I said that Ignacio, the patient, was very lucky because uh, Eugene took care of him. He closed the, the, the oronasal communication. And uh, P.I. And, and him, they, take, uh, they took a, a piece of his uh, uh, hip and then they used the implants to stabilize the, 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 the graft or the sinomatic bone. And then we rehabilitate the case, we, we, we perform it. So this is the patient, I, I remember them all because at that time I learned two critical aspects of the dentistry to me. One was that uh, there is a remote anchorage for those implants, which is the zygoma. And the second is that uh, no matter if you place the implant right, perpendicular to the occlusal plane or you tilt it, it works. Mm-hmm. And this was to me also the initial thinking of the tilting implants. So thank yeah. you, David, because it's a very important <laughs> Um, Long story. Yes. Long story. And that, that comes a, a long time back, actually, 85, 86. Uh, I think I wasn't born yet, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> so then something very happened in 87. I was born. but uh, <laughs> And then, and then you, you, you went through, so you, you grew different um, innovations and techniques in, in dentistry and thinking of on the, on the clinical aspects, tilted implants, obviously zygomatic implants are a big part of your uh, contribution to dentistry and on, on the business aspect of things to have the first um, 
multi-specialty clinic in, in Spain, which was a big thing at the time or so, a street level clinic, which was also something very different. Um, and, and all of that to, takes me actually to my, to my the key question that I have here. And uh, I will ask you this question and I can go on with the answer, but the very beginning is something that is really of interest to me, which is how, where, when did that idea of a network of Zaga centers come to your mind? What was the need? What was the idea? What, what was the, the little thing that made you invent or imagine this, this network? I have to say first, uh, making you, you mentioned that uh, uh, I, I created a, a multi-speciality uh, center at that time. We call it the dental hospital, but uh, it grew too, too much to me. And then in a moment, uh, I have a, I call it a, a fiancé that told me, Carlos, we love you. And then I said, how much do you love me? Uh, so I I sold the office. We were like 54 people on the office. Uh, it was very nice because we worked as a hospital. As I said, uh, we, we had uh, every Wednesday we had a meeting. Everything was written, protocols written for everything. So we were working like two periodontists, uh, three prost. Uh, to orthodontics, endo, all maxilo, all the specialties there, and uh, but with written protocols, we, that was very nice, very good. Uh, I mean, uh, I, there was a person in charge of uh, modifying protocols. No, everybody had to work following the protocol, and you go to a course of to a symposium, whatever. You bring a new idea, you have to comment it, then expose it, and then either can be accepted or not. If it is accepted, we change protocols and now everyone will work in, this, in that way or if not, you are not allowed. This is, this is in a way what's happening to the to the Zaga concept right now, right? <laughs> I would like to, but, uh, <laughs> but then, as I said, uh, in a moment I got free. Uh, I think I'm a free bird now. So the, this uh, dental hospital, I sold it. Uh, and then, I had to stay for five more years, and then uh, I started uh, to. I mean, I think uh, you you have on, on your blood the dentistry, no? Uh, at least myself. So I started to limit my practice just to psychomatic implants, and in a moment, I I realized that uh, I was able to to teach it. I was able to share my knowledge uh, in a very protocolized way and I thought okay Carlos you have the privilege of uh, building a legacy and but this is a privilege but it's a very can I say harmful uh, I mean painful <laughs> opportunity because I mean once you decide to to share it you have to share it and then it's it's, it's a lot of effort it's a lot of pleasure but a lot of effort but I, in a moment, I decided to, to build up this legacy and uh, to share what I know and to make it teachable. And then uh, the same moment, I was uh, uh, sharing this, those thoughts with a person with, that you know, which is Jaume. And Jaume is, uh, Jaume is uh, a person that is an uh, important part of Saga Center because uh, he is a professor on entrepreneurial 
uh, he explained me that uh, such an idea needs to have an organization. So you can you may have an idea, but that this is very romantic. But if you want to put it in practice and you want to be effective, you have to create an organization. So this is how this was the initial thinking of, of, of the saga centers. Maybe you can end up with a question and then explain what is the rest, David. No, I think, <laughs> that I think, was the condition of the meaning. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I think the whole uh, the whole CBCT scan of saga centers as an organization could could be material to another podcast. But I think one important aspect that I'd like to mention is that. Uh, you started with the idea of, of a legacy that in many ways is is uh, going to be met or already partially met. And uh, also something else happened on the way is that this this legacy or this organization, organization turned into a, a living animal in a way. Um, someone <laughs> knocking at the door and saying, hey, this Zaga concept should, should, we should change this step because this works better and we get the cases. And I'm thinking about initiatives like uh, the Zaga Road Flap, for instance, which is one of them. They look into it, study it, but if it happens to to prove that you know it, it prevents soft tissue dehiscency at, at the neck level, then then that only makes sense to you know amend the saga protocol and make it a living protocol um, on the go. So I think that's one of the maybe of the side benefits or the main benefits or consequences of that very first idea that you had in the beginning, and. Um, that's it. But I think I think the the, the CT scan of of Zaga centers should be subject to another episode. Uh, you know what we do, how we do it, just to 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 keep focused on the topic today and get to my last question, which you won't escape off either. Uh, which is, uh, you mentioned that you know you have dentistry in your blood, and uh, and I can clearly see that working with you almost every day. Uh, but I also know that sometimes you do something else. Uh, so what what is your hobby or passion when you're not uh, writing uh, scientific publications, when you're not changing <laughs> protocols or performing surgery? What do you do? Are, are we talking about sex now? Or? No, 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 no. <laughs> that would be fit for the podcast, but that, that could be an activity. But if you can tell this a bit more romantically, that would be ideal. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. I, uh, I like sailing. I like sailing. That's uh, that's my passion. That's my passion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I'm when I'm sailing, uh, it's like uh, I like to I like to to go sailing uh, every Saturday when uh, I'm not trapped in a course or whatever, and uh, we race. Uh, we are like a 25, 30 boats, amateurs for sure. But it doesn't matter, we we go every Saturday. Uh, so I meet uh, the crew at 10.30 and then we we have like a one hour like a training and preparing. And then at 12, the clock starts. And then uh, we say in Spanish, I don't know if it is very correct in English, but we take our knife in between the teeth like and then we race uh, like a death or life. <laughs> and then uh, those four hours to me are like uh, being in, I don't know where, but uh, I can live apart everything, uh, even implants, even psychomatic implants, everything is out of the sea. And uh, so you are... Uh, 
with the wind, trying to understand for where the wind is coming on, for where the wind is going to come, and where is your uh, neighbor, and if this, uh, what is the strategy, how you can get a little, a few tens more speed uh, by placing the sail in a different way or that, that, that's sailing. I see it's only a sailing. few a few weeks. Uh, in a few weeks, you'll, you'll, you'll mount uh, cannons on the boat to compete better, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> but uh, uh, we try to be... We try to to use all the weapons, all the legal weapons we have, <laughs> all the legal weapons we have. And this is the the, the thing. Huh? So you have to study the rules and use all the legal things you may. So you can uh, uh, eat the wind for from your neighbor. You do that. You are allowed for sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> so I think before diving into an illegal or doping scandal in, in, in sailing, we'll, we'll uh, switch the conclusion, I think. Uh, <laughs> Pav, thank you for, for joining this, uh, this podcast again, this episode together. Um, I really appreciate the, the clinical questions. This is amazing. And the, the depth of, of the clinical questions and, and conversations that, that you have with Carlos is, uh, to me, enlightening. And this is a level I, I can expect to reach. Um, I think we learned a lot from Carlos today. Uh, obviously, on all yeah. the little tips and tricks and where does the Zaga classification concept come from? And, and you know, I, I can imagine you in the next surgery thinking about this uh, critical zone over here and, and trust me, zone go away as far as possible. And I can think of you doing that. So <laughs> thank you again. Again, I, w- I wanted to say uh, thank you to you both, uh, particularly yourself, Carlos. I, n- I know how busy you are, so it, it means a lot that you're that, that you're giving your time to me. Uh, I think what I would like to do in the spirit of the Zaga Center is um, when I did my master's degree, uh, my research topic, my thesis topic was on um, hydrocarbon contamination of implant surfaces, and there mm. are some there are some very easy things that we can do to greatly improve osseointegration of the implants, how we approach that with, with, with zygomatic implants, I'll leave that for you to decide. But what I will do at some point over the next day or two is I will email you a copy of my uh, thesis. Uh, you are welcome to delete the email. You're welcome to read it. I'm always here to discuss it. So I, I just, I love, I love, I love implants. I love titanium. Uh, and I really appreciate your philosophy, Carlos. So uh, if people like you give me inspiration. Uh, you know, it's um, you know hearing how you know you have you've had mentors, you've had teachers. You you are now a, a mentor and teacher to me. So I, I hope to continue more from you in the future as well. So thank you, thank you both for your time this evening. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity. I think this is like in in passing. The concept I love the more the, the, the oldest I get, the more I love the concept of collaborative intelligence. Yeah. This is the way we are going to progress. Absolutely. Everything that is not collaborative is not going to work. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, for those who have tuned into my podcast, thank you very much for listening. If you're listening on uh, the Zaga podcast, uh, I have a podcast. It's called The <laughs> please, Dental Implant. Please go listen to that podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, gentlemen. And uh, we're almost bang on an hour. That's, that's fantastic. And uh, I will aim to record the next podcast as soon as what I possibly can. Thank you very much, gents.